Welcome to the podcast. This is the Dance PT podcast, hosted by moi, Jenna Cantor, performer, hachikapow, and physical therapist. In our interviews, we will dive into all the things that can regularly help you. That's right. As a dance physical therapist with your patients. That's right. Please note that the purpose of this podcast is entertainment and is not here to replace any medical advice. That being said, we are all here to support each other, which leaves me at the most important message I want to leave you with. You are enough and never change yourself for anyone. That's right. You heard me. Be you, and that will enable you to help others the best way possible. Let's end with more scatting. That's right. Jenna out. We are live. Yep. Wonderful. And it lets you know on there as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Love that. So hello, 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 everybody. All dance physical therapists. I'm here live on StreamYard for the first time. Really excited bringing on Alexis, who you will know as Arizona Dance Med. She's a little bit famous on the interweb. <laughs> And that's the reason she's knowledgeable. Alexis, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for thanks for having me. And I'm glad I made it since I woke up this morning and realized that your noon broadcast, because you guys sprung forward, meant I needed to be ready at nine instead of 10. So. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even think about it either. And I got here and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's at nine instead of 10. So, <laughs> wow. But it's fine. We made it. Yeah, there's some places where you guys don't do that time difference. What what time zone are you? Mountain time? Is that where there's no change? It's mountain time, but then it's just like our state because like I think Denver is in mountain, but they switch and it's just state by state. So so we just stay the same. You're like, hey, Uh, well, uh, for those who don't know Alexis, she works with dancers like a champ and she gets interviewed on podcasts all the time everywhere because she has not only extensive knowledge but she goes beyond the norms and from that she's getting a lot of results a lot of happy people and we want to be like that for our patients (laughs) the end of story end of story am i right or am i right you're right If you guys are popping on, say hello. I know it's very likely a lot of people will be catching the replay today because it's the middle of the day, but this is when we can fit it in and the the information will be good now. It'll be good later. It'll be good forever. So there we go. Well, unless studies say something differently. Uh, All right. So that being said, I wanted to talk about communication and how it can really help you figure out exactly what the root of the problem is. Mm -hmm. Alexis and I were talking about this and it can go so much deeper than just a patient saying, I'm not doing my exercises. So Alexis, would you first just talk about what these different possibilities could be if somebody is saying they are not doing their exercises? Um, The first thing for me, when somebody says that, that kind of like, where my like little antenna go off is it's, it's a kind of a cover up. And I don't mean that in 
um, an accusatory way oh, or an no. aggressive way. Or so it's like you have to kind of, you know, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. But, you know, um, at AZ Dance Med, you know, me coming from a dance teaching background um, at uh, pre-professional programs or, you know, competitive studios, like I totally get um, that either students don't have time, teachers don't have time, um, professional performers and companies, they don't have time. I totally get that. Um, so I do a lot of hard work to try to drill down the exercises that I give my clients. And I tell them like literally 10 minutes a day, if that, like once you kind of get them down and, and know what you're doing, it can be less than that. Um, and I always try to stay committed to that because I know what it was like because I, you know, I was I was in there. So when somebody comes to me and says that they don't have like an average of like seven to 10 minutes a day to get themselves better, um, that just kind of, you know, just puts inside of me or just kind of puts me in the frame of thought. That's that's an easy response to give more than likely for something else that's holding them back. Um, and it's my job to figure out what that is. Um, so that's that's kind of where it all starts. When somebody kind of comes out the gate and says that, you know, I kind of just inside of my head, I'm like, mm. <laughs> And what are the different possibilities of what it could be? Oh, wow. Um, You're like, let's, but let's go on the list. Why not? Yes. Let's go down the list. Um, I would say the first is fear or one of the first that pop into my head is fear. It's fear of the unknown. And I, I know it sounds crazy, especially if you haven't been in a chronically injured state, but sometimes, especially with dancers, they're so used and, and sometimes our culture still kind of breathes. They're so used to just hanging on to their pain and working through it. The possibility of even being a little bit better or, or getting a little bit better and having a life outside of having to deal with or work around this pain or injury, sometimes it's just so foreign, they don't even realize it. And they just kind of subconsciously just put these barriers up because this is the life that they know. This is what they're used to. As, as weird as it sounds, because a lot of times it's associated with pain and difficulty, it's still a comfort zone because they're used to it. Um, so that's one of the first things I think. I think they're kind of like afraid of the unknown. Um, two, and this is something that you and I were talking about because I get this from a lot of different clinicians. Sometimes we haven't dug deep enough into their previous PT history. And sometimes the exercises that we're dosing are things that they've seen before and that didn't work. So they're not going to try it because they are, they already know, they know it didn't work in the past and now you're giving it to me again. It's not going to work. I'm not going to do it. So sometimes it's imperative to us to really um, have an early on conversation about if our dance clients have had any other um, PT or massage or any type of other clinical experience and kind of get a feel for what that experience was like in terms of did it help? Did it not? Did they um, mesh well with their practitioner? Um, all of those things can stir up into if your environment and what you're offering them is even remotely similar to them, to something in the past or an experience in the past that they've had that didn't work, that's going to give them a huge opportunity for them to look at your sheet of paper that you've given them with the exercises and be like, nope, been there, done that, didn't work, bye. So yeah. that's kind of reason number two. I would say those are kind of like the top two reasons. Um, Isn't that interesting that the top two, I just want to really, are psychological. They are. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like, uh, and I know that sounds so simple, mm -hmm. but I think it's it's just deeper than that. 
It is. And what's it's interesting, and I'm not even sure if we got to talk about this um, the other day when we were chatting, but psychological doesn't necessarily have to mean psychological, (laughs) you know, the way that we perceive it, um, because that's a whole nother thing. Um, I think as clinicians, when we think, you know, there might be an emotional component or there might be a psychological component to why they may or may not be, you know, participating or or, or whatever's going on. Um, But if we kind of catch a whiff that that's might be part of the issue, we're like, oh my gosh, it's a psychological issue. And a lot of times, you know, just a good conversation helps with that. So um, identifying that somebody might have, yeah, a little bit of an emotional hang up or um, like a a previous experience, stepping out of their comfort zone. All of these are psychological issues, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's out of our realm as physical therapists to be able to help them. It doesn't automatically um, mean I have to have an awkward conversation about referring referring them to a psychologist. It doesn't have to be that deep. But we can identify that there are some psychological and emotional components to how they feel and kind of mitigate them to get them to come back around and and participate and put them back on the road to healing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we did those top two. What would be next on your list off the top of your head? (sighs) Um. I think kind of a, a kind of a different take on comfort zone. <laughs> um, and this depends on environment. It depends on usually there's another underlying thing going on that's holding them back. But sometimes they like where they are, which sounds weird, um, especially with adolescents. Sometimes their ankle sprain gets them out of point. Or sometimes it gets them out of that one class with that one teacher that they don't like because they're injured. <laughs> so sometimes, and and honestly, I would I I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say sometimes they might not even realize that's why they're doing it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's kind of like I've got this opportunity to, you know, do the things that I like, and sometimes not quite do the things. I think we were talking about. Um, Ch- uh, schedule changes a couple days ago, um, like accommodations that are made for injured dancers sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes. And people are heading over backwards all over the place trying yes. to work for that dancer. Yes. And, and experience that. Mm-hmm. And if, if you know me, you know I don't sugarcoat too much things. So <laughs> um, sometimes sometimes they get accustomed to that. And, and you know, sometimes it, it works in their favor for an, for another reason, you know, and they kind of like that and they don't want to give that up if, you know, they get better. It's almost, it's weirdly enough, almost like that um, malingering pain workers comp mentality. You know, if I get back to a hundred percent, then I get released to full duty, but I'm on modified duty right now. I get to do what I like, still making some money or, you know, I'm still doing some dancing and stuff like that. So there is a little bit that, that's probably the, the third and probably the final reason, but, um, and that's very, very rare. Most dancers, they, they love to dance and they want to dance. Um, but it, it's a possibility that that could be an underlying reason why they're giving you the, you know, I don't have time. I haven't done my exercises type thing. Yeah. And then on the flip side, but it's essentially, I'm assuming the same conversation if they're lying and saying they're doing their exercises and you can can tell they're not. And we see that often in physical yes. therapy across the board. But I feel like the same the same kind of things would apply there. The same. Yeah. Kind of, what what do you think of 
is there, a, I've always done it by a per person basis on mm -hmm. if I can have that conversation saying, I know you're not telling me the truth because when I asked you to recall the exercises to see, are you doing, you couldn't remember one, mm -hmm. um, but where do you, how often do you find yourself in that conversation of calling them out? Or is that even, does that even have any value to them getting better? Um, I, I totally understand your question. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I, so I'm going to go back to me as a clinician. Um, my clients, to, my clients, most of my clients know that I come from a teaching background. I come from a ballet teaching background. Um, my reputation is kind of like I just said a couple minutes ago, like I don't sugarcoat anything. Like if it gets to the point, I'm comfortable having that conversation with my clients. Look, either you want to get better or you don't. You know, um, does it always come out that way? Definitely not. Um, do I, do I, um, and instead of saying, I'll, I'll give you this as an example, instead of saying the, you're not doing your exercises, or I can tell because, you know, when I ask you, you don't know, I try to come from another perspective and say, you know, what's the, what's the barrier that's holding you back from getting better? Like, I already know they're not doing it. I already know they're not getting any better. I don't even need them to say that. I don't need them to acknowledge it. They're probably too embarrassed to acknowledge it. I need to figure out why. So all that other stuff I kind of put aside. If I notice, um, you know, when a client comes back in, regardless of if they're a dancer or not, we always do a little mini assessment every time they start, uh, you know, come in for their session. I kind of have a little bit of a systemized um, stability, lateral stability and rotational stability tests um, that we look at every single time that somebody comes in just to make sure those two things are online. If those two things, one or both, if any of that is offline, I just ask the question there, are you feeling okay? Have you been sick? Have you been getting sleep? Are you drinking water? You know, I try to just go to some barriers that might be holding them back instead of the, um, you know, I can't, I can tell you're not doing your exercises <laughs> first, you know, it's, we're saying the same thing and we're trying to uncover the same reasons and get the same information. Um, but the way that we're communicating it is a little bit of a different approach. So we don't come out accusatory um, towards the client. Um, you know, if you know, they're like we said, if, if you know that they're not doing those exercises, they're not doing them for a reason. We right. got to figure out what that reason is. And sometimes we got to, you know, balance you know, the, the, the sternness, the tough love, the caring, you know, we just kind of have to, like you said, sometimes I just feel the vibe of the client. I tend to have a don't beat around the bush. My clients don't always. Um, but as you grow and develop in your clinical practice and in your practice style, you kind of get a vibe. I have a vibe for most of my clients in the first one or two visits with how I can approach them if they're having issues. Right. Yeah, it's true. And this is so important to bring up because, and we talked about this the other day, Alexis and I, I lied as a dancer about doing exercises all the time. My husband is a performer, a singer, actor, dancer. He lied all the time about saying he did his exercises for even vocal stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's not personal at all. I think it, a lot of it can really do with just I don't know. It, it, I just remember doing it. And so mm -hmm. I think also coming back to that sensitive spot of just going like, we all did. It doesn't mean that you're an evil person or anything mm -hmm. you're at and how you're choosing to communicate your stuff at that point. And that's your right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and we and I like how you're saying at the end of the day, do we really need them to admit that? Does that we don't. and we don't. We don't need that. Company. It probably makes them feel, feel worse to admit it. Like move exactly. that. Exactly. And, yeah. and we can move past that and just help them get better. Into physical therapy and guilty. Like that's mm-hmm. the last thing we want them to deal with. You exactly. Know? It's already hard for them to show up at the, at the clinic or meet up with you because that's admitting to them. It's admitting to people around them if they are seen. That they're mm-hmm. injured in some way. If we get into the professional world, forget it. That can that can get in the way of get them getting gigs. Mm-hmm. Hear of them being hurt in any manner. Yeah. Um, so for you at this point, I'm actually really just saying words right now to find my next question. You know Michael Scott in the office where he there he does this trick. For anybody who knows the office, Michael Scott, the character, he he talks about how he just keeps talking and talking and he doesn't really know where he's gonna go in the conversation until he gets there. I so do that in interviews where I start talking like right now until we'll get there. And it's gonna be beautiful when it gets okay. There. So yeah. don't anybody judge me because I know what the office is, but I've never seen an episode, but that's I mean, okay. I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> For, for you, when working with dancers and say you get past and you figure out it's the psychological component, the <gasps> psychological, but you're just like, okay, this is something that we can, we can work out together. That's great. What if, how, how are you differentiating when it's time for a referral for either a nutritionist for a psychologist? Ooh, let me backtrack. Just like Jim Carrey. So um, we had this conversation yesterday. I need to let people, listeners know this. So I have a patient who was having a, a anxiety about the idea of changing her diet when I brought it up in conversation because mm-hmm. it would help her out with inflammation in her joints. Mm-hmm. Her chronic pain has a chronic pain, chronic pain, chronic symptoms. And she got so, and that was, I, I'm not even going to give the answer. I want to open up this up to you, Alexis, to share what you said to me about that, because I thought that was very interesting. Here I am thinking, oh, let me just hold off on giving that referral. But I missed something in that, an opportunity for a different referral. Mm-hmm. Do you mind going into that? Um, yes. <laughs> no, oh, oh, rephrase. No, I don't mind. <laughs> yes, I'll go into it. <laughs> um. I, I think what stuck out when you said it was to me that that's a barrier that like her anxiety to your, to your suggestion of a nutritional referral, um, that was another barrier that needed to be kind of looked at and worked through and considered. She probably does need, um, and probably not even as much as she thinks. Um, a lot of times when I'm talking to uh, clients about things, because we um, have a performance, new, like a performance nutrition, um, I call it functional nutrition. I have a program at my uh, my own clinic. So I work with clients on that here. But even when I bring it up here, um, yeah, if there's like a little bit of tension, you know, met, then I automatically know, okay, I got to get through that first before I, we can even talk about um, getting them to, to participate or even listen to um, any type of nutritional intervention to ultimately help them overcome whatever difficulty that they're having with dance. And I think that was kind of like the point that I brought up to you, like you were focused 
and appropriately so, so it wasn't wrong. You were focused on um, thinking that she might have some nutritional deficits and wanting her very, and wanting very eagerly to get her that help. But her reaction to that is definitely going to need to be worked through first or else whoever you refer her to, she's not going to be successful with that person because she's already got some type of anxiety before. Maybe she struggled with an eating disorder that she hadn't disclosed to you, or maybe um, not quite eating disorder, but she just grew up in a household where there was always like not the healthiest food choices. And it was just super frustrating. There's something around um, food and nutrition, you know, when somebody kind of like perks up and gets anxious just at the suggestion. So listening or looking at your client's reactions when you um, talk about even the possible or the possibility of a referral can be very telling. It can give you clues as to, oh, wait, maybe I need to back up and have another conversation um, before we even get to that. Um, And I think we also talked about um, even like physical intervention that we can do to help like reduce anxiety aside from um, you know, psychological interventions as well. So yeah, just really like, it's almost like look, listen, feel. It's kind of like, like first aid, look, listen, and feel, um, regarding our clients and their responses during your treatment sessions can definitely be key. And it's, and it's, it's like, when I say it, it's like, I know we're all doing it. Like anybody who's watching this, like, I know you're doing it. But, you know, how can we do it better? How can we dig a little bit deeper and do it more efficiently so we can get people better faster so we can have a, a better bond and a stronger relationship with our clients to help them get better faster? Awesome. And then I'm going to go a slightly different viewpoint now. So we've been looking at the patient and taking what we're hearing from them. What have you in your, your long time of working with dancers, have you changed within yourself as communication goes for how you are delivering things that you have found is works better? And I know, of course, it's a per person, but there are some things that do where you're like, aha, this kind of thing, even body language or vocal, anything um, where it helps. I think the top two things or, and even they kind of relate into one thing, which is just confidence, Mm. Um, confidence in knowing movement, number one, just confidence in knowing movement, confidence in understanding the general dance culture, um, understanding what, you know, the competitive dance world looks like versus the concert professional dance looks like a world looks like versus the conservatory and training world versus the, um, not pre-professional track, um, but student who loves to dance world, having an appreciation for the culture and demonstrating that confidently when you're talking and working with your clients, I think goes a long way. Um, and that is something that I continue to work on um, all the time. Um, I attend performances. I go to competitions. I go to um, hip hop ciphers. I go to, um, you know, Irish dance concerts or competitions. I go to ballet concerts. Like I try to stay um, in one involved in the community. So you see my face and you know that I'm around. And two, I continue to try to experience different types of dance forms. So I visually know um, what things look like. So when clients come into me, um, actually, I just did a Skype ironically enough, I just did a Skype session with a client in Japan who was, um, she stationed in Japan. Um, 
And she wrote to me, um, seeing some stuff that I'd done on Facebook. And she wrote to me and she said, I'm not sure if you've heard of Highland dancing. And I'd like responded back. I was like, I know what that is. <laughs> um, which is funny because I'm actually working with about three um, dancers currently in my clinic. And so she had mentioned um, that she was working on, you know, something called a sore dance. I'm like, I know what that is. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, she had mentioned some like movements and I'm like, I know what that is. So I think number one, like you said, um, what am I doing to kind of, um, you know, help dancers as much as possible or build a bigger bridge in communication. It's doing what I know and what I'm able to do to give more and more confidence to the client when they come in. Like they see AC dance medicine specialists, like, you know, on the wall when they come in the door. But even like those Irish dancers that I have right now, they were even more impressed um, for me to tell them that I worked with a few in some uh, previous work experiences when I was living in Chicago. Um, and the fact that, you know, just, yeah, just that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just, absolutely. yeah. Um, and then I think just the being confident, just in your skills, whatever your skill set is at that moment. And I'm sure you've heard this most time, most of the time, you still always know more than your client. So just being confident in what you know at that moment and sticking with what you know at that moment, even if you don't know exactly how to fix their big picture problem, if you can find a little portion, a little piece of the puzzle that you can, you know, work on, work on that. I think that definitely goes a long way in terms of fostering the best communication for the best outcomes and the best relationship between you um, and the client. Was that uh, the question you were asking? Just above and beyond. <laughs> okay. I'm saying yes in the, in the comments, and and if you if you definitely feel her on the importance of confidence, write down confidence in my abilities in the stream for sure. I think that was such a good point, Alexis. I'm so glad you came on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know I will be bringing you back, and if you didn't know, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> you know how no. <laughs> No, I know we'll be doing this many, many more times, and I'm more than happy to. So it's one of many, many practitioners, and she's a great speaker. Obviously, I'm close with her, but um, she has so much, so much knowledge to give. She's not afraid, clearly, but confidence, fearless. And and with that, you not only are helping many dancers, but you do help people as well, individually, such as myself. So thank you again for coming on, Alexis. You're an absolute joy. If you guys are catching the replay, write replay below and do not be afraid to ask any questions in the feed. Alexis will be happy to connect with you. And that's it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Have a good day, everybody.